I'm starting a new series today. Some of you are a little bit like, wait, wait, what, what, wait, wait, just a few minutes ago, the dude that was over here with the guitar was like, and when you leave here today, and you're like, man, then we, we got to go early. We'll beat the Baptist to the restaurant. And um, that's, um, maybe you misunderstood. We're not done yet. So get ready, okay? Because I, I want to share with you a message today that's part one of three parts that I'm calling There's a Miracle in the House. There's a Miracle in the House. We're going to spend three weeks talking about the miracles of Jesus, just a few of the miracles of Jesus, and some of you are real candidates for miracles. It's, it's impossible, your situation. There's just no, there's no answer. There's no, there's no road that leads to the right, the right answer. You need a miracle. So I hope you'll lean in a little bit and lean forward and not have skeptical or, or, um, or um, you know, be, be full of doubt, although God can take that. But, but try, to, try to see what God's word would speak to you. So if you got your Bibles, open to John chapter 11. We're gonna be hanging out there a little bit. There are some rules that govern the natural world. There's a gravity. Our children, when they're little, they find out about that one very quickly, don't they? There's, there's gravity. It rules the natural world. There's the first law of thermodynamics, and some of you might, might remember, energy can't be created and energy cannot be destroyed, right? So there's, there's rules that govern the natural. That Another rule, I suppose, is that the earth orbits around the sun and the moon orbits around the earth. It governs the natural world. And I want you to dial in for a second. All of these things are natural laws that God created. And any time that we see a miracle, it's when God is choosing to operate outside of the natural order that he himself created. I love the quote from the recently graduated, recently departed, uh, is now in heaven, Tim Keller. So take a look at the screen and we're gonna read this. I wanna read this uh, to you. He said, we modern people think that miracles are the suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant for them to be the restoration of the natural order order. Because before sin entered the world, before there was death in the world, before there was suffering in the world, before there was disease in the world, the supernatural was known as Tuesday. It was just a normal day. The supernatural was the norm. It was beyond the natural. And so today we're going to look at one of Jesus's miracles in the gospel of John chapter 11 it's one of the last miracles that Jesus does. And it may be familiar to you. It's hard to do this, talk about this miracle without going through the whole story. But I'm going to summarize for time's sake just some of it. But John chapter 11, the first four verses. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. <laughs> I kind of love the passive aggressive nature of Martha. She didn't say, Lord, my brother's sick. She's like, it's like um, your wife, come, husband comes home, spouse comes home and you're like, that son of yours just drunk. <laughs> you don't say our son at that point. You say, that son of yours, that, 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 it, it's, an, it's an invitation for you to do something about it. It's a passive aggressive way of saying it rather than coming out and saying, would you do something about it? She's like, the one, the one that you love is, is sick. Hmm. And, and, and so Jesus, gee, let me give you a little context though. Lazarus really was nobody special. He, he didn't, he didn't, wasn't on the speaking 
tour. He didn't have a TED talk. He, he never wrote a book. Um, he was just a guy, but he was a guy that Jesus really liked. They were really good friends. In fact, Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary, um, they lived in a little village outside of Jerusalem called Bethany. And, and Jesus, remember, he never had, a, never had a place to live. Jesus didn't have a house. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head, Jesus said. So, so he would stay with people. And often he would stay with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. He'd stay in their room. He'd eat at their, they'd sup together. They'd have, they'd have a meal together. They'd hang out together. They were, they were friends. And I love that, that this Lazarus, this normal guy, just happened to be a, a really good friend of, of Jesus. Now look at verse number five. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Well, I'd like to hit the pause button for just a second. How'd you like to be Mary in that, when John records this? Now, Jesus loved Lazarus and loved Martha and, and, and her sister. <laughs> Why do you suppose it says it that way? I don't know, but I'm gonna find out one day. That's not the point of this message, but I, I, think, I think it's important that we look at that. Now, now Jesus, he, well, the whole point is he loved them. And so, so Jesus loved them. I'd like you now, in, in light of that verse, I'd like you to pull up the next verse for me, Marissa, if you would, please. There's a mistake in the Bible. There's not really a mistake in the Bible, but I actually looked at it, and I'm like, are we sure? Are we sure that the word should be so? Now, now Jesus loved Lazarus, and he loved Martha, and he loved Mary. I wonder if the word shouldn't be so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. I, I wonder if maybe it should be the word yet. Yet. Now, Jesus loved them so much, yet when Lazarus was sick, he, he stayed where he was two more days. Because there has to be a reason why Jesus is staying behind and he's not coming where his friend is very sick and fixing to die. There's got to be a reason. Maybe there's, there's uh, th something to do. Maybe he's afraid of getting uh, killed, coming back into Bethany, which is a real possibility, or being thrown in jail. Maybe there's traffic. I don't know what the problem is, but it should be yet. But the word is so. The word so is a, is a conjunctive word, and it's a puzzling word to me. Uh, the word so connects it. In other words, um, put, put verse number five, if you would, please, for me. Marissa, I appreciate that. Um, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And then the next word is what? Let's all say it together. So. So, 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 so. That conjunctive word, because he loved them, he stayed behind. That sucks. Now, it doesn't bother us so much in this story because, well, hello, we know the rest of the story. But you don't know the rest of your story. And in your story, when there's a so there, you're like, I, I'm, you know what, how I'm going to react? One of two ways. Oh, oh, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's read on uh, it just a little bit. When we look at Mary and Martha... We look at the Old Testament and the New Testament. There are oftentimes examples of God um, promising that he's going to do something. He's going to deliver. He's going to heal. He's going to empower. He's, he's going to cause a miracle to take place. It's, he's giving vision. He's, he's, he's helping people with a burden. And then after that, it's like crickets. Didn't you say you were going to do something? Didn't you promise that you were going to come through? And it's just like nothing. 
crickets. It can feel like forever. Mary and Martha, well, it, they're, in a, they're in a season of, of waiting. And here's something I need you to know. If you're gonna experience a miracle, you have to learn how to wait. If you're gonna be the recipient of a miracle, you have to understand that oftentimes a prerequisite to that is a period of waiting. And it's for you, it's not against you. Mary and Martha were in a season of waiting. Granted, it was only a few days, but when you're waiting for something like that, like somebody's gonna die, um, two days can seem like it's 10 years. Hmm. What do you do when you beg God for something? Not a Porsche, not a promotion. You're not asking him for, for a, a, find me a husband or, or help me to pass this final exam. You're not praying for God to give you traveling mercies. Still don't know what that means, right? But um, traveling, maybe just safe travels. Just say safe travels, right? Don't, don't sound too churchy. Lord, give me traveling mercies. All right, well, you sound weird. Yep. My God, I need you now. I, I can't. I can't. I can't do this anymore. I, I can't do it on my own. I am so empty and I feel so lost. I'm begging you, God. What do you do? What do you do when you hear nothing? When you get a so, I'm, I'm going to stay back behind a couple of days. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense in our minds. Here's, here's something that I want you to kind of latch on to. His ways are not our ways, and his, his thoughts are certainly higher than our thoughts. And here's a truth bomb. We don't want him to think like us. We don't want our God to choose like us. Because as we're about to see in this story, there's something a whole lot bigger going on than our current crisis. So we're gonna fast forward a couple of days. Jesus is having a conversation. This is verses 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, same chapter. Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples and he's, he's hey, our, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep is what Jesus says to them. And they're like, well, see, he's sick. He probably needs the rest. And there's Jesus like, you guys don't understand. When I say fall asleep, I mean, he's dead. And then he said, he's dead, right? That's the conversation. He tells them that, that he, he, is, he is dead. And then Jesus says, we're gonna go. We're gonna go to him right now. And the disciples are like, well, then we're gonna go and we're gonna die with you then. That was their they're thinking, very, very self-centered. Verse number 17 is where we're picking up the story. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. I want you to remember these next five words or six words here. And many Jews had come. And many Jews had come. There's a crowd that is developing, guys. There's a crowd that wouldn't have been there otherwise. There's, there's a crowd. Had come to Mary and Martha, uh, Martha and Mary, to comfort them at the loss of their brother. Let's go jump down to verse number twenty. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, "If you had been here, my brother would have would would not have well would not have died." This is big. 
We can learn a lot of question, a lot of a, a lot of information, uh, a lot of lessons from Martha's comment here, really, which is a statement, which is posed kind of as a little bit of a question. Um, here, what here are a few encouragements from this miracle that will help you. Start to pray honest prayers. When you need a miracle, just pray honest prayers. Here we have Martha, and here we have Mary, two sisters. Same family uh, of origin, two total different reactions. Mary, she's devastated the loss of her brother. So what does she do? She sucks herself. She goes into the house. She closes the door. She closes the blind. She climbs in bed, pulls the sheets over her head, and says, I'm never coming out again. If that's what my God is going to do or what my God is not going to do, then fine. I believe that Mary had every indication of just saying, I'm done. I'm done with this thing. I'm done with this relationship. You didn't come through for me, Jesus. You talked about all these miracles that you would do sitting around our dinner table with my brother and he's dead. You didn't even show up to to hold his hand on his deathbed. Mary has gone into herself. Now, Martha, on the other hand, well, not Martha. She, she, she's angry. She doesn't go into herself. She's like, Jesus coming? Oh, he's going to be at the front gate? She's like a 75-year-old mall walker wearing orthopedic shoes. I'm going to go to Jesus right now and tell him what's going to happen, right? And she takes off after, after Jesus, and she meets him before he even comes in the front gate. Listen, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And here's the beautiful thing about Mary and about Martha. Jesus met them both right where they were. Right where they were. Some of you, when I say pray honest prayers, you might be like, well, it makes me uncomfortable. It's kind of irreverent. It's not very kind to, to, to tell God how I'm really feeling. Well, I think it's very intimate, actually, to tell God how you feel. He can handle your anger. He can handle your questions. How on earth can you have intimacy with God when you're not willing to be honest? I mean, really, really honest with God. Now, the funeral's already happened, right? I mean, like, the cousins all talk too long when they pass around the microphone, right? The the green bean casserole has already got some saran wrap on it. It's been put in the refrigerator, right? I mean, they've already told the stories. Hey, remember when Lazzy, I don't know what they called him, when Lazarus, remember when Lazarus was 10 years old? Remember that time when he climbed up the tree and it fell down and broke his, oh, it was a crazy time. And they told the stories and they laughed at inappropriate times. It's over. Jesus missed all that. He's already been buried for four days And then Jesus shows up. And when we're waiting on God, we're not waiting on nothing. I've said it before, but a divine delay is not his denial. Oftentimes there's reasons behind the delay and we should be praying honest prayers. When Martha approached Jesus and gave him what for, she was talking directly to the son of God. I think that defines itself as prayer because you're talking to the son of God. That's prayer. So she just prayed, and she's like, hey, this is how I'm feeling. If you had only been here, if you you were only here, when you do those kinds of things, you're opening your heart in a vulnerable way to God, and it, it, it invites God into your struggle. That's exactly where he wants to be, is with you in your struggle. We just got to pray honest prayers. Secondly, I challenge you, risk your heart and believe in him again. Risk your heart and believe in him again. In other words, hope again. Some of you were stuck right there. 
Like, ah, I can't risk my heart again. It's too painful last time. It didn't seem to work out for me very well. The challenge from the word of God today is to risk your heart and believe again. In verse 21, Martha finishes by saying, if you'd have been here, my brother, he wouldn't have died. And to this point, all hope is gone. But then something happens in the very next sentence, the very next thing that comes out of her mouth in verse number 22, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And then Jesus says to her in verse number 23, your brother will rise again. It's a message of hope. And then in verse number 24, you kind of see this ping pong match. Martha says, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection, in the end, in the last day. And you can kind of see this kind of faith and hope going up and down and back and forth and back and forth. Now I want to read to you verses 25, start verse number 20. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went to him. It takes real courage to risk your heart in believing again. It takes real courage to hope again. And I love that Jesus met Mary and Jesus met Martha right where they were, as differently as they were at handling this challenge. And then in verse 33, this is so powerful. So Mary comes and John writes in verse number 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. It doesn't matter if you're looking in the Aramaic, the Hebrew, the Greek, or the English translation. That is the shortest verse in the entire Bible, and yet it probably has the, uh, one of the biggest, most profound effects upon you and me as we read that. Jesus, the creator of all, actually is giving us a living illustration of his sermon, his sermon on the mount. When in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, when he declared, he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus wasn't weeping because Lazarus had died. I mean, he knew what he was going to do. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He wasn't crying at all because Lazarus had, had perished. Uh, he, you're not going to weep over somebody that you know you're going to bring back to life again. But the nature of your God, of our God, is that he chooses to enter into your suffering. There is a reason for which he may not remove it from you right now, but then he chooses to put himself and positions himself right there with you. The Latin word for compassion is co-suffer. When you have compassion on somebody, you, you co-suffer with them, to suffer with you. He chooses to enter into your pain. Listen, every tear that you've ever cried, you have not cried alone. Every tear, you've never cried alone because Jesus has been with you the whole time. The whole time. He has been with you. Believe in him again. Risk your heart again. What God did before, he is fully capable of doing again because he is a miracle worker, which leads me to, verse, or to point number three. Nothing is over until Jesus says it's over. Something in your life could be utterly dead, absolutely impossible. Nothing is finished until Jesus says, it's finished, 38, 39. 
Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across it at the entrance. Well, doesn't that sound familiar to what is to come? Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, can you just hear her? She's all like, there's something in the natural that we have to deal with, Lord. And he's like, I'm not dealing with the natural. I'm dealing with the supernatural. But she deals with the natural. But but Lord, it stinketh, right? Um, But Lord, she said, um, there's the sister of the dead man, as if we didn't know who Martha was by this time in the story, right? Um, By this time, there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Hmm. We get so preoccupied in the natural when we're speaking to the God of the supernatural. What did I just say? We get so preoccupied with the natural when we're speaking to the God that is in control, not only of the natural, but of the supernatural, he has all power, all authority, and all, all dominion. It's significant, because at this time in history, the Jews believed something. Folklore, I'm not sure what it was, but they believed this. They believed that um, when you buried a person, that their spirit, their soul, would hover above their, their, their body for three days. That their soul wasn't going to go anywhere for a period of three days. So... Jesus decides, well, I'm not going to give them any opportunity to believe in this nut job philosophy that they have, so I'm going to wait four days. Because according to their theory, that the, the soul or the spirit is already going to have been departed from that body. Now, we don't believe that the spirit or the soul hang. Don't be buying into all this Hollywood stuff that people do, right? Because when you die, when you die, your spirit is going to leave. It departs. It goes somewhere. And you have a couple of options with that, right? Um, but it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to go somewhere. All right. Now, here's, it, it's, it's no coincidence. It's, 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 no, it's no coincidence. Hmm. <sighs> You're not waiting for nothing. I know it sucks to wait. I know it's difficult to wait, but you're not waiting for nothing. I can't tell you what the outcome's going to be, but I can tell you he's, he's present with you and he has a purpose in it. Let me give you a phrase that I jotted down a couple of years ago that I pulled out for this message. Sometimes God will wait until the expiration of your expectation so he could manifest his glorification. The whole point of this miracle was to magnify and display the glory of God so that people would believe in him. It's going to smell, Lord. Here's what Jesus says, verse number 40. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you would always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I just got to tell you something. Lazarus didn't need him to say that. Lazarus, it wasn't because, hey, I need you to hear me, Lazarus. Say, come out. Jesus can be be like, just think it. And And Lazarus would have come out. But he said that for the people that were around. He said that for you, and he said that, and he said that for me. Lazarus come out, and the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face, which makes me very, um, uh, I don't know, um, claustrophobic when I think about that. I'll be like, okay, I'm back in life again, but I'm going to die. Take this cloth. Anyway, uh, I better get a drink here. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes so he answers the problem and, and, let, and let him go. Sometimes you're going to have to wait until your, ex, your, your, uh, 
your expectation has expired. So Jesus can display his glory and so other people can believe. So here's two things that I want to leave you with today, two things that I believe. I believe that the anointing of God comes with a prerequisite of pain. Because when God trusts you with suffering, it empowers you to serve other people who are also suffering. So I'm going to say it again. I'm not putting it on the screen. I just want to say it. I believe the anointing of God comes with a prerequisite of pain. Oh, you want to be anointed by God? then there's a prerequisite of pain in your life because when God can trust you with suffering in your life, you are then empowered to serve other people who are suffering in their lives. Some of y'all are like, man, I'm a, I, I bet I have a great anointing then because I feel like I've suffered a lot in my life. God's not gonna waste that. And the second thing that I wanna share with you is I believe that all of the challenges that you are navigating right now are all a part of God's design. I didn't say that God put them on you, but they're all a part of God's design to use you to impact other people. Everything you're going through, there's a purpose in it. And it hurts and it's difficult and it's, it's, it's frustrating and disappointment, disappointing and you wish you'd never been there. You wish you could change the choices that you've made. There's some of you in this room that are like, Troy, this is great, but I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, but the cancer did not go away. I I prayed and I fasted, but the marriage, it still ended. All I can tell you is God is present in your temporary, but he is focused on the eternal. He is present in your temporary, but he is focused on the eternal. He, he puts himself in these momentary challenges, but he's thinking about heaven. He's thinking about your future, your eternity. What Mary and Martha did not understand, and what you and I oftentimes people don't understand, is this miracle was not about Lazarus at all. This miracle wasn't about Lazarus. It was about you. Because this miracle caused two paths. One of those paths was, well, people were flocking to, to see what happened. People were hearing the story. People heard that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That's a good part of the story. People heard the gospel. But the second part of the story is there's a guy by the name of Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the high priest. And he got wind that Jesus had just done this miracle and it ticked him off. It made him so angry that he decided that's the last straw. Jesus needed a last straw. Because if there was no last straw, there was no crucifixion. And if there was no crucifixion, there would be no resurrection. Jesus knew that he doesn't do a miracle just for the miracle's sake. He's a multi-dimensioned God. He's working all these things together. So when you receive a healing, when you receive a deliverance, when you receive empowerment, listen, some of y'all were drunk as a skunk a few years ago. God has delivered you from that alcohol. It's not just for you. God wants to use it to bring glory and honor to him and to see the world come to know him. So the thing that you're going through, the frustration, the disappointment, the the abandonment, the the loss, the loneliness, all of those things, God is going to come through. But when he comes through, it's not just for you. God wants it to be for everybody to share and, and experience his glory. And may God be magnified through it. 
So what happened just after this miracle, that's John chapter 11, was John chapter 12. And in John chapter 12, Mary anoints the feet of Jesus in preparation for his what? For his burial. Followed by the triumphal entry. Followed by the arrest of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Followed by the torture of Jesus in the courtyard at the hands of Caiaphas, the high priest. Followed by the crucifixion of Jesus and him getting ready to die to pay a debt that we did not, that we owed, which he did not owe. Followed by him hanging upon the cross. And finally, followed by Jesus saying the words that we're all expecting him to say, it is finished. I told you nothing is over until Jesus says it's over. Nothing is finished until Jesus says it's finished. See, Lazarus came back to life again. Grave clothes came off. He did the, he did, I'm alive again dance. Probably got the green bean casserole and said, this is really, really good. Hey, what'd you say about me at my funeral? They had a great time. But we don't know if it was five days, five years, 15 years. We don't know how long later, but Lazarus dies. And Lazarus stays dead. The miracle isn't just about Lazarus. The miracle is about what Jesus was doing in addition to the natural. The miracle is the supernatural. Because this Lazarus come out, this this roll the stone away, this the grave clothes are being left behind, that's, that's fixing to happen just about a week from now. Because Jesus, Jesus is going to do the same thing, only this time he's not going to die ever again. He's going to rise victoriously once and for all. When Jesus said the words, it is finished, he was declaring the miracle over what he had already spoken. See, he's saying death is no longer the end. Death is no longer, it no longer has a sting. Why? Because Jesus said to Mary and to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, he'll live again. Do you believe this was the big question? And that's the same question to you and me. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. That's what Jesus had said upon the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Famous words of Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. But perhaps the most powerful words that Jesus spoke. I mean, other words he spoke. Into into your hands I commit my spirit. But perhaps the most powerful words were these simple words, it is finished. When he said that, he meant that. Do you believe that? Let's pray. God, Thanks for your word. Thank you for your word. You lead and guide us into all truth and to all righteousness. Lord, we know that we're candidates for the miraculous and we need you. So God, we're gonna pray honest prayers. We're we're gonna risk, we are gonna believe again. And God, we know that it is not over until you say it is over, Jesus. So today, friend, if you are struggling and suffering and you need God to come through for you, then you're a candidate for a miracle. It might be a relationship. It might be a financial situation. It might be a a, a healing, a health issue that you've got. It might be not for you, but for somebody else. It might be an answer, a a direction that you need in your life. I got to know which way to go or are these options even the, the option that you want for me? It might be you're struggling and battling with some um, anxiety or depression or extreme fatigue. 
And maybe you're full of rage and anger and maybe you're apathetic and you can't seem to get anything to uh, give you any energy or any focus in your life. It, it, might be, it might be that you've been given a diagnosis and that diagnosis is, is grim at best. It might be just absolute severe, utter loneliness. And you don't know what the miracle is, but you know you need a miracle. I am telling you that we serve a miracle-making, miracle-working God, and He is more than able to come through for you, and He already knows about your need, but He's not shocked and surprised about how you feel. He wants you to come clean, be honest with your prayers, and He wants you to renew and risk and believe again. And trust the fact that it's not over till Jesus says it's over. If you need a miracle in your life, we're all family here. I want you to stand right where you're at right now. Just stand. I need a miracle. I need a miracle. I, I need a miracle. I need God. I need a miracle. I've tried everything. I need a miracle. I need a miracle. I need a miracle. I need a miracle, God. God, I need a miracle. God, I need a miracle. Come on now. There's, there's nobody. Nobody that is exempt. Nobody Jesus is going to leave out. I need a miracle. I need a miracle. What we're going to do is we're going to I know we've had a great worship gathering. It's been a little bit longer than we typically go. And for those of you in the nursery and kids, we appreciate you so much. But we're going to take just a couple more minutes for those people that need a miracle. We're going to ask you to come. Come to this altar. And we're going to ask that, that you just trust again. Come on, you can come. Trust again. Trust again. Risk again. Believe again. Pray an honest prayer to God. Tell Him how you're feeling. And don't get churchy on me. Be honest and be real with God. I need a miracle, God. I need a miracle, God. I can't do this anymore. I need you, God. I need you, God. I need you, God. I need you, God. Just kind of slip your hands up to heaven right now, God. I need a miracle. This is not my story. You are. Heartbreak is not my home. You are. Death is not the Jesus, you are, you are. Fear is not my future, you are, you are. Sickness is not my story, you are, you are. Heartbreak is not my home, you are. Death is not. Jesus, you 
I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? We believe. We believe. Lord, thank you for your word. Never returns void. Thank you, God, that even as it was stated earlier in this gathering, we do not need to leave this place the same way we came in. We leave this place walking in resurrection power. We leave this place experiencing the manifest miracle of Almighty God. We leave this place encouraged in our souls. We leave this place knowing that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. We trust you, Jesus, for it's in your precious, awesome, powerful, holy, anointed name we pray. And everybody said amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you rest. And may he give you peace. God bless you, New Lifers. We're so proud of you. Have a great Sunday. Y'all are dismissed. Amen, amen, and amen. Praise the Lord.